0: Let's talk about the elephant in the room. Liz is cold. I'm so cold. Describe it for me, Liz.
1: My coldness? Yeah, describe it. Starts it starts in me. my toes. It starts in your toes and it, it works its way up. It starts in my toes and works its way up. And I have crazy thick socks on, which you guys know about because I told you guys to get them. I bought a
0: pair of them, which I am wearing Did you really? You're wearing, wearing right them. now. Aren't they really warm? I do, yes. They're and crazy I, warm. And I say this. I want to I I say something to our listeners right there. A lot of the times I feel like the subtle message uh, that I give to you in my interactions with Liz is that I don't buy things she tells me to buy. Actually, I feel like the opposite of that is true. I, I buy everything.
1: Because affi- I, I, I send you affiliate links, so I get a little bit off the top. Liz,
0: I have spent <laughs> so much money on Liz's Amazon wish list <laughs> in the past two years. Uh, but Liz right now Are you also doing that is in – I don't understand. That's a thing you do if you want to have sex with someone I'm going to start just
1: putting that in my email signature. It's <laughs> to Amazon you wish list.
0: Um, Liz is ensconced, I would say, in yeah. – a bundled in fabrics. This is my big
1: winter coat, which is quite heavy.
0: It's a heavy coat. It's a heavy it's coat. It's so
1: heavy that I'm like, I debate wearing it because I feel like it hurts
0: my neck. You always complain about weird shit. Like, it hurt, your coat hurts your fucking dude, neck? I know that sounds crazy. <laughs> what are you about, dude? Listen, okay, put, care, pick this up. All right, we're going to do a little wait, audio. Wait, I'm going to put on the
1: chair, so I'm not even touching it.
0: All right, well, you can't have dead air, so go back to the mic. I wa- There's no dead air, he just edits it out. Oh my god. This coat hurts my neck. It's
1: really heavy though, isn't it? Do you see what I'm talking about? Wait, I'm really cold though. I need that coat back. Them the socks drop the socks. Listen, when I start my sub stack with that, only has recommendations from me and uh-huh. it's also only affiliate marketing based,
0: that's a good that's idea. That's when they'll learn
1: about the socks. You
0: think you could do that? Like, if we got sued or something, and we had to stop, you think you could do an affiliate marketing sub stack? <laughs> I don't even want to entertain that as an opportunity. As an option, well, okay, say that I get I have died. Don't
1: say that, okay,
0: fine. I, I, fine. I'm elected. First of all,
1: obviously, we already have a contingency plan in that in place for that, which AI. is AI. Obviously, yeah, yeah, yeah. I would yeah, do that. Yeah, Grok's woke, and now so is Brace. <laughs> I am woke. Well, the AI, your Grok is.
0: Yeah, no, but I. Am. Maybe
1: we should all get Groks. Can that happen? Groks,
0: <laughs> I don't understand. Like, the, we should sign up for Twitter Blue. Um, no, but I'm.
1: I don't know. I uh, just like saying we should all get groks. Okay
0: Okay, <laughs> okay, fair enough. Okay, you know what went out, and uh, maybe it's just winter. I guess. I didn't like this though. Let me say this. What? I didn't like this. What? The croc comeback, which okay, not dealing with that. That's like none of my business anyways. But the little pins in them This is a while ago. It's a little too much for this me. This is a while ago. This was like a year ago. No, this was not a year ago. This what are you talking about? This was not I it no, was putting can pins in the
1: Crocs like seasons and seasons and seasons ago.
0: Like that, yeah, see that yeah, that's four seasons ago. That's, or that a year ago, yeah seasons ago. Like a couple years ago. It was like at least three years That's ago. That's years. Seasons are – a couple well, I wasn't seasons gonna ago say spring.
1: I wasn't going to say seasons six, seven, eight times.
0: Well, then maybe you should be more clear next time. Ladies and gentlemen, my name – oh, I'm sorry. Should you not be more – maybe you should be less clear next My time
1: name is Liz. That's I, Brace and here's Young Chomsky. The podcast is called Drunon.
0: Liz was doing a, like a mm, head shake at me. She was doing one of those. She does that. Liz makes faces in we record to try to fuck up my swagger. That's not true. Um, and speaking of swagger, hello, Liz. Hello. How you doing? I'm good. It's a little cold. It's um, a little cold. I'm cold. It starts in the toes. It's, <laughs> it does start in those fucking toes. I am hot, but my body is a little cold right now. And we have a hell of an interview for you today. Yeah, we have Nick Bryan back on the show.
1: It's been a while since he's been here. We just realized it was like a couple years ago that he was.
0: That was, that was, I couldn't have been a couple years ago, but it was a year ago, I think. Because it was a couple years ago, I I was, it was Yeah, the year
1: was last year.
0: I've only lived here for a year and a half. Last summer?
1: Does that sound right?
0: Last summer, yeah. So it it was around then. So yeah, like a year and a half ago. All right. But yeah, we're going to talk about the Epstein Victims Compensation Fund, mm-hmm. David Boys, mm-hmm. Stanley Pottinger, and uh, Nick's Project Epstein Justice. Well, let's get to it. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Truin On Podcast, brought to you by the New York Times, not nah, brought to you by nobody. Uh, We are today joined in the bunker 30 feet underground in New Jersey with Nick Bryant, author of The Franklin Scandal, director of Epstein Justice, and somebody who I call a friend. That's very nice. Nick, hello. Why do you have a distant look in your eyes when I said that?
2: No, I I just wanted to say hello, friend. Hello. (laughs) How you doing? I'm doing good. I, uh, you know, I was kind of at the doorstep of death about a month ago, but mm-hmm. uh, but I'm resilient and yeah. I'm taking vitamins and
1: things are things are going well. Which is, you know, that's all very good to hear. Yeah,
0: yeah. yeah. I, I I will say, ha- making us inject you with a giant comically oversized needle in your ass before we started mm-hmm. recording or else you refused to do it, I thought was a little forward, but you know what? You seem a lot perkier. No, it, it, it helped tremendously
2: and... Um, you know, and I, I, I have had problems with hemorrhoids in the past. Yeah. So uh, it seems to have chilled that out. Well, and I, you know, I, I, can do to help. I, I realize this is TMI for your audience, but uh, you know, sometimes you just have to tell your truth.
0: <laughs> oh my God! Here we go. Um, we are here to talk. I think specifically about two two different kind of aspects of the Epstein. I was gonna call it saga, but that seems like a weird word to use. But I'll say it, saga. Uh, one is the the cleanup, which you differentiate a little bit from the cover up, uh, and of course about Epstein justice. But I think we're gonna we're gonna go to about the cover up first. So we had talked a little bit before recording. It's, it's you know did we need to explain the context of this to our listeners? I don't think we really do. But the context. To the cover-up, I think we maybe do have to explain a little bit, or to, excuse me, to the cleanup that we do, we do have to explain a little bit. So as listeners know, you know Epstein obviously uh, died in a jail cell. Uh, Ghislaine Maxwell is in prison, and it sort of disappeared from the headlines. There was those little things in the Wall Street Journal, I think, early, maybe earlier this year, maybe last year, mm-hmm. uh, but beyond that, not a lot. But we want to talk about exactly what has gone on in sort of the legal world. And I'm not talking about the court cases necessarily, although a little bit, but really about the Victims' Compensation Fund and some of the strangeness around that. So, Nick, what are we talking about today? Well, the uh, Epstein Victims' Compensation
2: Fund was opened uh, some years ago and – uh, Attorney Jordana Feldman was the administrator, and she had previously been the administrator for the September eleventh Victims Compensations mm-hmm. Fund. Mm-hmm. And uh, David Boys, who represents a number of the victims, he helped uh, forge the parameters of the uh, of the Epstein co- Victims Compensation Fund. So David Boys is, as we know, represents a number of the victims, but also, he was really integral in crafting this the, the parameters for the Epstein Compensation Fund, Victims' Compensation Fund, about who would be getting settlements from that fund and who wouldn't.
1: There's been a lot of controversy about the fund. I don't know why I just said contra- controversy. I said that in a Bruce Belden way. <laughs> but, uh, but Controversy. Controversy uh, about the fund. A lot of fighting, um, even infighting amongst lawyers about who was getting what and how much and – if there was, you know, if there was even anything left, a lot of like, you know, a lot of legal fights over that over the past couple of years.
2: Well, it's kind of been haphazard. Some victims have been given very large settlements. Yeah. And some victims have been, been given very small settlements. And we don't know why some victims are given large settlements. We don't know why some mm. victims are given. Uh, this is kind of behind a shroud of secrecy uh, with this fund. So... It's really difficult to know a lot of the, and we'll talk about it later, but it, it's difficult to know a lot of the machinations of this fund other than I think it's a useful tool for a cover up. And as I said earlier, David Boyes was one of the architects of, of this fund. And David Boyes, I don't know if your uh, listeners are familiar with David Boyes as far as his connection with Black Cube. Black Cube is a group of retired Mossad agents that that does dirty deeds and David Boys is very fond of Black Cube. He was using Black Cube, uh, Rose McGowan was one of the first uh, actresses to come out against uh, Harvey Weinstein mm. and he used Black Cube on her, I mean they infiltrated her life on her false identities. and. Um, And then the New York Times was writing a highly negative article about Harvey Weinstein and he used Black Cube on them. (laughs) And he was representing the Times in a libel suit at that point, um, which made the Times rather upset. And of course, he used Black Cube. uh, uh, He was on the board of Theranos and uh, he wanted to prop up the good standing of Elizabeth Holmes, the mm. grifter. And he used Black Cube on people that were saying derogatory things about, um, about Elizabeth Holmes and Theranos. So David Boys is quite fond of Black Cube. And actually, David has a special place in my heart. I call him David Black Cube Boys. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I mean, we should say Black Cube. Yeah, it's a private um, ex-Massad security outfit, right, Bryce? What would you call it? Yeah, I, w- I it's would like say. I mean, there's these
0: private are, spy firm. I mean, one <laughs> thing. So I think a lot of people associate like Israeli ex-intelligence like groups with like Pegasus or a mm. lot of like the really high-tech stuff. Yeah. Black Cube uses that stuff for sure, but I think they really resemble in a lot of ways like a private spy agency. Like they have people. There's a writer at The Guardian, for instance, one who, person who. Actually covered black cube uh, (laughs) that turned out to be a black cube agent.
1: Yeah, you know,
0: like somebody in their employ, and so like they were a pretty—I mean, I'm sure still are—pretty sophisticated intelligence operation, and you know, obviously they were they were very adept. I mean, if you're listen, if you're in private intelligence, there's a few things that are really lucrative. One is rich guy sex scandals, and two is trying to get articles squashed. And the ways that you can do that are you can discredit the people who write them, or you can really infiltrate their lives and, like, feed them information, uh, disinformation, things like that. Uh, and, and, and David Boys was uh, completely on board. I mean, he was. I think he was the one that connected Weinstein with Black Cube. Well, actually, David Boys signed the contract for
2: Black Cube. Harvey Weinstein did not sign the contract David Boyes
1: signed the contract. To be fair, you always get your lawyer to sign the you contract. You got to get the that lawyer way, to sign the contract. Like, you know, you step aside, so, you say, "Oh, my lawyer did it." I don't know. I, don't know. But, I just pay the guy.
2: But it's interesting that David Boyes didn't get
0: one of his minions to sign the contract. He signed it himself. Well, mm-hmm. that sometimes the lawyer forgets that he himself might need a lawyer to sign the contracts. So but it's it is it is really you, you know, you make a point you 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 mentioned that um about the New York Times thing, right? Because, I mean, I think that really does show what we're working with here is that Boyce was both representing the New York Times as their lawyer. At, in the me- in meantime, and this came up in the Weinstein court case, was hiring Black Cube to surveil and fuck with New York Times journalists. Undermine. Undermine New York Times journalists from, uh, from writing negative articles about his other client, Harvey Weinstein. Mm-hmm. Yeah, David's been a busy guy with Black Cube, and those are the Black Cube incidents that we know about. Yes, th- mm. I think that's important and, to mention too, because and, there's this is all mm. the shit that has just come out that we found out about, and like this stuff is, and that's just one company as well.
1: It's like so, real puppeteering, you know, because it's really like orchestrating and trying to pull something from both sides, like in each kind of in each incident that we know about.
2: Well, what I get a kick out of David Boys is that. He went to bat for Al Gore in 2000 against the uh, evil empire of the Bushes, and then he ostensibly decided to, take to help the government take down Microsoft. Mm-hmm. And uh, he's a darling of the left. And mm. I don't think a lot of people on the left really understand David Blackview boys.
0: Well, I think that, that might have been the case in the, 90, or the 90s and early 2000s, but I definitely I think the— that I'm not even sure that liberals would even know who the hell he is anymore outside of this stuff,
2: you know? Because I can remember when he was making that big stand for Al Gore, and people were peeled to their television sets. And uh James Baker, the uh of course. was the uh, Secretary of State for George Herbert Walker Bush and a patrician and an all-around bad guy. So it was it was uh, James Baker versus uh, David Boys, And if, you're, if you had left inclinations, um, the contrast was so stark that uh, you thought David Boys was, uh, was a-okay, that he was mm. a good
1: guy. So let's talk about boys and Epstein. What's the, what's the connection here for our listeners to refresh their memory a little bit?
2: Well, uh, David Boys represents a number of the Epstein victims. Yeah and and this was ostensibly his contrition for representing Harvey Weinstein.
0: Yeah, that's kind of how it was presented to yes. everybody. Yeah.
2: This this was how he was going to make amends to womanhood is by representing these Epstein victims. And his representation has been anything but forthright at least in my opinion.
1: What do you mean by that?
2: I think that there's uh, – when you get into the Epstein Victims Compensation Fund, which he helped forge, uh, there, there's a lot of uh, problems with that um, that undermine victims. And he also brought aboard Stan Pottinger. Mm. And Stan Pottinger was in the government in the 60s and 70s. He was an assistant attorney general. And if you needed a cover-up, Stan Pottinger was the man. <laughs> Wherever there's malfeasance in the sixties and the seventies, Stan Pottinger is there. I call him the forest gump of cover-ups. <laughs> he is truly the forest gump of cover-ups.
1: What are some of the ones that you you saw,
2: Matt? Um, his first major cover-up was Kent State. Uh, Kent State was there were uh, National Guard soldiers that shot four students. Mm -hmm. And Stan Pottinger was going to get to the bottom of it. And he impaneled a grand jury that looked at whether or not there was a conspiracy there, whether or not these soldiers were told to kill the college students or shoot at the college students. And that grand jury just happened to declare that there was no evidence that there was a conspiracy whatsoever. But now this is interesting. Um, The New York Times reported this in 2007. There was a tape that Stan Pottinger (laughs) had for that grand jury that has one of the uh, commanders telling the soldiers to shoot, (laughs) to aim, fire, and shoot. Yeah. And... And okay, so what happened there was that tape was given to some acoustics laboratory in uh, in Boston to analyze, and the acoustics laboratory said that there wasn't any any sounds of any national guard uh, commanders giving giving orders. Mm. so it was a perfect plausible deniability, yeah, I mean, the government certainly has. Enough acoustic scientists to, uh, yeah. to to look at a tape like that, uh, or to discern a tape like that. Um, but he gave it to this firm in Boston, so he had plausible deniability. So he covered up that conspiracy that involved the murder of four college students what? and the maiming of a number of other ones.
0: What happened? What happened to the soldiers who 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 shot the college students? Nothing. Nothing, nothing happened to those owners. Interesting. Yeah, I, it's it's funny you gave it to an acoustics firm in Boston because I would think they would only be able to recognize the sounds of somebody yelling at their wife.
2: <laughs> yeah, it's um. So that was Stan's first cover up, Kent State, mm-hmm. and uh, but that was he was just getting going. I mean, he's um, like I said, he's he's the Forrest Gump of cover ups. What else did he get into? Well. There was this nasty little program that the FBI invented. It was called COINTELPRO. Mm-hmm. And COINTELPRO uh, circumvented just about every constitutional right of Americans. And it was, um, it was, it was exposed in the uh, mid-'70s. There was the church hearings um, that was looking into government malfeasance. And it exposed COINTELPRO. And COINTELPRO was uh, legal harassment, intimidation, wiretapping, mm-hmm. infiltration, smear campaigns, blackmail, and the suborning of perjury, and countless of jail sentences, countless jail sentences, and most likely in the case of Black Panther Fred Hampton, murder. And and there's other murders that are connected yeah. to a COINTELPRO. Lot. Yeah, yeah. And so
1: there's a lot about the program that we still don't know well, a whole lot about.
2: And I kind of think that it. Is still probably going on now.
0: Yeah, form, yeah, yeah. I mean, they officially ended it, yeah. uh, but like that's they learn from the tactics and they incorporate the tactics tactics into other programs. Uh, the the yeah, uh, you know, you mentioned you mentioned murder. I think one thing that really needs to be stressed about COINTELPRO is that. And this is actually how how the government works in a lot of intelligence stuff is they themselves like they're not going to send like you know FBI hit squad number seven to like your house to shoot you. It's a lot more effective to send letters to maybe groups that that you don't get along with so much. I mean, this happened in I think it was I think it was San Diego or L.A. Uh, with uh, with the Black Panthers and this this other group, United Slaves. Yes. Um, where they, they essentially like sent these poison, poison pen letters to each other to try to get them to fight each other, which worked actually and, and resulted in, in – In carnage. In carnage, yeah, in a, in a shootout, at least one shootout. Um, but this was a, a pretty favorite tactic among not just radical groups but like – well, mostly radical groups but just really any group that the government was not a, uh, a fan of. COINTELPRO went after the Black
2: Panthers really hard and went after the American Indian Movement really hard. Mm-hmm. Those were the two primary groups that it had the most antipathy for. And uh, there was some Cointel agents that planted a rumor that an AIM member was uh, an informant, and she was not an informant. Uh, her name was Anne Marie Aquish, I think. She was a Mi'kmaq uh, uh, from the Mi'kmaq tribe. And uh she was murdered by some people in AIM. And and that's a direct result
0: of COINTELPRO. pro mm-hmm.
2: Poison yeah. poisoning her relationship. That, that, with, was, that,
0: would be a, that was a huge tactic of COINTELPRO yes. is is f- like Fed jacketing, basically like convincing, trying to convince if there's like a you know a person in your group uh to try to convince everybody else that they were a a a Fed or an agent themselves, mm-hmm. uh with the implication that they would they would maybe get murdered there. And that did happen. That happened within the Black Panthers several times. um, Happened with AIM, other groups as well. Yes,
2: and uh, COINTELPRO, they called up Martin Luther King's wife and said that he was having an affair. And they also sent a letter to, I think it was William Sullivan, um, who was very high in the FBI, sent a letter to Martin Luther King saying that they had recordings of him and that he had to kill himself by mm-hmm. the time he got accepted the Nobel Prize for Peace. So that was COINTELPRO. And um, Stan Ponger just happened to investigate COINTELPRO. Mm. And he got to the bottom of COINTELPRO and he sent a memo, uh, December 1974 memo to the Attorney General William Saxby. And he said the Civil Rights Division found no basis for seeking criminal charges against particular individuals involving particular incidents with COINTELPRO. So Stan Pottinger, again, covered up COINTELPRO. No one was in the government was arrested for COINTELPRO after uh, Stan Pottinger's investigation. And Stan said that there wasn't enough evidence when the church commission uh, or the church hearings had 20,000 pages of documents um, and they interviewed uh, scores of FBI agents and scores of uh, uh, COINTEL targets. So there was plenty of evidence
1: yeah.
2: and, and, he, and he covered it up. He covered up Pro. No one went – of of all that carnage that was sown by COINTELPRO, Cointel no one went to prison in the government for COINTELPRO. A lot of other people went to prison. <laughs> yes, but no one in the government. Um, the, 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 the targets of COINTELPRO went into prison, but no one in the government.
1: So you think Stan was – I mean he was always being kind of called up to be the guy that produces the official document that can be used to kind of like cut, cover up, clean up kind of settle everything so, you know, all the official bureaucracy can move on. He's the guy,
2: and, and, in various articles I've read about him, he's the guy that says, I'm gonna get to the bottom of this. Mm, Yes. Mm -hmm. The white hat. The white hat. Fake white hat. And actually, uh, there's a New York Times article that has his picture and then above his picture in capital letters is Civil Rights Protector. (laughs) (laughs) It's, it's, uh, it's, it's quite a – it's quite a picture.
1: Yeah. Does he pop up anywhere else?
2: Oh, he, uh, he pops up all over. There was an interesting case where uh, uh, CI Director Richard Helms ordered the break-in into the business of a former CI agent. Mm-hmm. And, um, and they got outed and the case was given to Stanley Ponger. And Stanley Pottinger found that there was no malfeasance, that the CIA can break into Americans' businesses. And there's, there's no criminal violations there. Mm. What? no one even uh, got charged with uh, n- B&E? No one got charged with anything.
0: Wow. i got to join the CIA. You're breaking into people's number. stuff. But, yeah, what are you
2: talking about? But, <laughs> <laughs> okay, so he said, now this is the New York Times. So it's got to be true. Um, He said to the New York Times, he said, well, you know, I didn't get Dick Helms. Dick Helms walked from this, but he's still liable for his testimony before the church commission. Now, Dick Helms told the church commission that um, our government and the CIA never helped any opponents of Salvador Allende of Chile and uh as it turns out we gave 8 million the CIA gave 8 million dollars to opponents of uh Allende and actually we <laughs> yeah we we expedited Allende's death and uh put in Pinochet who wasn't really well liked by a lot of Chileans um he he had this uh he was a little on the,
0: uh, Pinochet was a little on the genocidal side. He, he had a nasty habit of electrocuting people's balls and shooting them. Yeah, that that's that I, that's an, an interesting statement from Helms because yeah, I mean it's 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 been I think pretty conclusively proven that we we certainly helped Pinochet uh, gain power, but also helped you know uh, organize chaos in the economy in uh, in Chile. To, to, to facilitate that transfer of power. I mean, we organized strikes, you know, placed articles in newspapers uh, and stirred people up against Allende. And we also murdered a general. Uh, oh, yeah. The CIA yeah. murdered a general that was going to back Allende
2: and we, we couldn't have that.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. To, to the, with, the, with a – oh, was, was that him? The 22 in Italy? No. No. And
2: um, – Then there was that – there was like a soccer arena that was filled with people.
0: Yeah, yeah.
2: That were murdered. Um, There was actually a movie made about that with uh, Jack Lemmon and Sissy Spacek and their – I can't remember the name of the movie but their kid had been one of the people that had been murdered in that uh, arena. So Dick Helms lied before Congress saying that they hadn't, um, hadn't helped I, uh, opponents of IANDA and then he said that, um, that the CIA had never spied on any Americans. <laughs> so, and, and at this point Operation Chaos was going on and Operation Chaos was collecting tons of information on Americans. and. It's actually kind of amazing. Uh, Nearly a quarter of a million first class letters were opened and photographed by the CIA during chaos and uh, the chaos Indexed 300,000 individuals for the CIA in a computer system and uh, over 100 domestic groups and of course chaos used the IRS to go after 11,000 Americans. The IRS is always a useful tool mm. if, if you want to take people down. So Helms told all these lies before Congress that, um, that we hadn't backed Iande, that he hadn't spied domestically, that the CIA was just a swell bunch of guys mm-hmm. and they were here to protect America and our freedoms. So Stan Ponger said, well, you know, we're, he got off by ordering the break-in into, uh, into this former employee. But, you know, he's testified before Congress. And, you know, if he's told any lies, you know, we're going to get him. So what happened to Dick Helms? He pled no contest to two misdemeanors and was fined $2,000. <laughs> So Stan made sure, and and, you know you got to respect this though,
0: Mm -hmm.
2: because Stan made sure the guy paid. I mean, no one else is, uh, you know, everybody else has walked, Mm. but you know those two misdemeanors and two thousand dollars, two
0: thousand bucks. You know that was something back then. Exactly, I was about to say that could buy. I mean, hell, that could buy half a fucking DC back then. Yeah, two thousand dollars, and that's our man Stan Pottinger. So what happens to him? So he—he he also we 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 talked about a little bit uh, before recording. I think there's something we should mention is that he had a relationship with friend of the show, Gloria Steinem. Stan and uh, Gloria had a nine-year relationship.
2: That's a long time. Well, That is a long time. Uh, intelligence assets or agents in love. That's, based, and, that's common law. Uh, yeah. <clears throat> Gloria, um, well, she has her own history of CI involvement. In
0: 1959
2: and 1960, the Russians had these youth festivals.
0: Yeah, yeah. They'd all like – like, which I feel like – I, I got to tell you this because I, I was reading about this the other day. This is an aside, but I'm going to be self-indulgent here. There were so many festivals back then. All these like like World Federation of Democratic Youth, all these kind of things. It's like they had all these like you know, and then they the, the, they kind of like the Pioneer festivals and 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 all that. It's like uh, who was going to all these festivals? I guess people like Gloria Steinem, and well, I'm sure a lot of left wing youth. But it seems like I'm like I I really I would have been cool when I was a kid. But no, yeah. it's, there's, now it's, they just have video games. You just have you just have damn Fortnite. Everyone's in Roblox now.
2: <laughs> well. Actually, Gloria was there. The Russians were putting on these festivals,
0: and Gloria was getting American students to disrupt
2: the festival. Well, because
0: that was the thing. Yeah. It was like it was the World Federation of Democratic Youth and, and kind of related organizations would have these festivals, and they were not just communist countries. Like it was, it was like yes. world, you know, youth festivals. They were. You know, and I, and I say this is not a bad thing. They were communist sponsored, and they were, to be frank, yes, front events. But uh, they, were, they were brought together, you know, youth from the, the, the uh, non-communist countries with the communist countries mm-hmm. and, and ripe for people like our, our girl Gloria and some of her friends that she helped rile up to disrupt. Now, Gloria
2: said that she stopped working for the CIA in 1962, but there was a feminist magazine, once they got a whiff that she was a CIA asset, they were upset
0: Red Stockings,
2: um, I think they were called. Red Stockings, yes. And I uh, mean understandably they were Yeah, upset. they were understandably upset. And yeah. they dug into her – and th- they demonstrated that she was a CIA asset through most of the 1960s. Mm. So she has lied about that too. And there's a, a, a famous quote of hers about the CIA and uh, when she's talking about her experience with the CIA
0: and she says – So I actually I – ha- I have it here. In my experience, the agency was completely different from its image. It was liberal, nonviolent, and honorable. And the thing about it is uh, Gloria must have not been subjected to
2: chaos or mind control uh, experimentation or <laughs> witnessed the, thir- the overthrow of uh, uh, d- demogra- democ- democratically elected third world leaders. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think she might be a little off on uh, compassionate and, uh, and liberal. But anyway, her and Stan were quite the power couple in Washington, D.C. Uh, through part of the 60s and into the 70s.
0: So Stan's, of course, in love and having a gay old time, uh, but he's still up to his old tricks. What else does he get into? Well, Stan started to put together, when he got
2: out of the government, he started to put together illegal arms deals. And he was selling arms. He was facilitating the selling of arms to Iran, which was a hot, which was a uh, enemy state at that point. So we're looking at in the very least, treason and, um, um, including a bunch of other things. So what happened was Stan represented two uh, Iranian financiers and they were going getting arms from the United States and then they were giving them to Iran. And this is when the Atola, uh, Ayatollah Khomeini had the American hostages um, in 1980. So this was uh, – we were not happy with what Iran had done with uh, taking our our hostages. So Stan is caught on tape instructing the Hashimi brothers how to export arms without – with basically forgoing their identities mm-hmm. and, and, and how to do it illicitly. And he was recorded by the Department of Justice. And do you know who was going to prosecute him? Who? Rudolph Giuliani, my the guy, beacon of integrity. My Personally, guy. It's like
1: the same 40 people just like for 35, 40, 50 years. They just all keep coming back up. That, that
0: is sort of the astounding thing, especially about Iran-Contra. Yeah. But like uh, – or about really everything to do with Iran in the late 1970s, early 1980s. Um, it is just like the same 30 fucking dudes. <laughs> yeah. Well,
2: well, here is the problem with uh, Rudolph Giuliani, that paragon of integrity. He, he, and the Justice Department lost the tapes
0: that oh. incriminated Stan. He lost them. He lost the tapes. Classic Giuliani. Yeah, Julie. He maybe had a couple of my ties too many. So, Stan walked.
1: Yeah, hard what a to surprise. believe.
0: What a surprise. Yeah. Oh, my God, Giuliani is usually so organized. That's what, yeah. I guess that's what 40 Long Island iced teas a day will <laughs> do to you. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, and and so the, the government actually lost the evidence and so Stanley Pottinger was able to just like get off scot-free? He Yes, he just walked. Wow.
1: Mm, sounds like someone – yeah, it's like Stan – you know, someone new, – a new Stan was born and took care of this Stan. <laughs> and
2: it's kind of interesting. So – the October surprise was and, – and this is part of the October surprise. The I October heard. surprise was the Reagan administration made a deal with the Iranians. Yeah. And they said to the Iranians, hold on to these hostages until Rani gets elected and then let them go. Mm-hmm. And that's what they did. And the deal was that we would sell them arms through Israel. Mm-hmm. And – that was called the October surprise because when Reagan got elected, that day, the Iranians let the hostages go and it yeah. hurt Carter. I think Carter would have been hurt just by some of the choices that he made yeah. and because the intelligence community hated him. Yeah. But
0: uh, that th- that sealed his, I mean, that was his doom. Yeah, that they, they kept the hostage that whole yeah. time. I always thought, because whenever I, when I, I remember when I was like young, I found out about this. Um And I was always like, that's a little on the nose to release them the day that Reagan gets elected. You know what I mean? Like how do you really like – But everyone got
1: the news later.
0: Yeah, yeah. It takes a while to print the newspapers. Yes. Facts. Uh, (laughs) But like do it like a couple weeks later and be like this has nothing to do with who's president. We just decided to do this. Well, it was really benevolent at the time. Yeah.
2: Everybody thought, "Well, the Iranians." And, so and kind of be, them. And and Ron, you know, might, might be a nice guy. Yeah, and yeah. he's that
1: good. He's, yeah. that he's just good. The that just good. The, the, yeah,
0: classic negotiator. They like him so much. He learned it in SAG. It I was, gotta say, if
1: you're gonna do an October surprise, they did a pretty good
0: one. That's one of the best. Are, are you kidding me? Yeah. Compare that to the Hillary email, fucking Comey no, bullshit. That was, that was so incomprehensible. What is going on? There's some server, whatever. However, uh, t- call me up when they're releasing hostages from Iran. I'm just
1: saying, you know, okay, it was bad, terrible. But it's Everyone a, knows. Yes. But there's a lesson to be learned, which is if you're going to do it, I mean, they did a very good job. Do it big. Well, Nixon pulled off an October surprise. Uh,
2: there was uh, – in, in Paris there were talks between yeah, the South Vietnamese yeah. and the North Vietnamese and he got to the South Vietnamese and he said – stall those talks right. and I will make sure that you get concessions that you otherwise wouldn't get. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And that really hurt Hubert Humphrey in 1968. So October surprises are not a surprise. They come up occasionally. Yes, yeah, yeah. And then it's kind of interesting. So there was these rumors of the October surprise and our Congress was going to get to the bottom of it. The House formed an October Surprise Task Force, and the uh, President of Iran, Abdul Bani Sadr, wrote a nineteen ninety two letter to Congress saying that Stan Ponger was part of the talks that he was at, he was in the he was on the bottom ground of the talks and um, and then ultimately, and this was in Madrid, and then the talks moved to Paris where George Herbert, Walker Bush, and William Casey kind of put the finishing touches on negotiating it. Well, it wasn't really much of a negotiation. They just said hold the hostages and then we'll sell you arms. So Stan, his name comes up 192 times. You don't want that. He's a busy guy. He's a a very busy guy. Good multitasker. Multitasker. His name comes up 192 times in the investigation. But this is kind of interesting they found that the, is the uh, Iranian uh, spies, the Iranian fi- financiers, and uh, the people that were involved in the arms deals, like Ari Ben-Manashi, they were all lying. Ergo, there was no October surprise. Okay. And what's really interesting is that this year in March, the New York Times published an article saying that there was an October surprise. So finally, an American media has copped to the fact that there was an October surprise. Now, that article didn't mention Stan Ponger. It didn't mention Herbert Walker Bush. Um, it didn't mention a number of the other people that were played an integral role in the October surprise like William Casey. But it said it was actually a
0: reality that it happened. So after this, he retires from public life and decides to be a novelist. And not just a novelist. He's a well-compensated novelist. Well, Stan decided that he was going to go with the writing
2: life. And Ballantyne Books gave him $500,000 for his first novel. Now, that happens all the time. That first-time novelists get compensated $500,000. I'm sure that it's probably happened uh, once. <laughs> mm-hmm. And he continued to knock out novels. I think he published four. And uh, he, I think that Ballantine books continued to pay him very well. As I said earlier, if I paid Ballantine Books five hundred thousand uh, dollars, they probably would not publish a book of mine. Mm. So, but I, they were they were more than happy to publish Stan's book.
0: I do want to read. I was I was looking this up the other day. I do want to read um, a description of uh, of one of his books. Uh, this is called The Last Nazi by Stanley Pottinger or by Stan Pottinger. I guess he's going by his more cool street name then. Um, And Stanley Pottinger goes where no one else dares, taking crucial medical and social issues and turning them into riveting thrillers. Melissa Gale is an attractive, ambitious lawyer and investigator for the Office of Special Investigations, the Justice Department's Nazi hunters. Her quarry, known only by the name Adelwolf, was the brilliant young protege of Dr. Joseph Mengele, the busher of Auschwitz. Presumed dead for almost 50 years, Adelwolf has suddenly reappeared in the United States to take the lives of three people in a chilling, unusual way. Drawing on research started in the Nazi labs, and Adelwolf is about to unleash a terrifying virus using Melissa's soon-to-be-born baby as a trigger. The tension builds unbearably, unbearably as Melissa's race to save her baby and stop Adelwolf forces her to confront the boundaries of good and evil. Evil available for audio cassette on Amazon for four dollars and twenty nine cents. Sign me up. Five hundred thousand dollars seems like yeah. seems like they got that deal of a lifetime. My God,
2: that sounds like uh, that sounds like more excitement
1: than a human should be allowed to have. I'm looking at his, the first one that he published, which was called "The Fourth Procedure," a novel novel of medical suspense, and I'm like. Medical suspense? Is this a genre that I'm un-
0: unaware of? It's just like a guy waiting for a
1: kidney. It's a like, mind-boggling <laughs> medical thriller to end all medical thrillers. Medical yeah. thriller. That's definitely not – yeah, I, I don't think, think I've, I've ever, I've ever
0: I, I'm not sure the circumstances that would compel me to read a medical thriller. I feel like those are two words that I don't really want – I guess maybe An accomplished
1: attorney prepares decision. to argue a life-and-death case before a hostile Supreme Court nominee. A leading surgeon answers an emergency call to assist an operation in progress. And in, Washington, and in a Washington, D.C. morgue, a medical examiner examines a body
0: that has been tampered with. I should mention, too, here um, that his son, Matt Pottinger, was one of the big China hawks in the Mm. Trump administration. Yeah. uh, Who I believe was one of the people who sort of like tearfully quit on January sixth after you know having served in the administration the whole time. Tearfully quit on January sixth and now works yeah. for the Foundation of Defense of Democracies, mm. which is the that's insane like a, yeah. <laughs> psycho neocon think tank in, yeah. in Washington. Man, yes, They're holding uh, pen until they can figure out where they can be so kind of
1: deployed next.
0: If we nuke Shanghai in the next couple of years, that's got the that's got the Pottinger family brand on it.
2: Well, you know it's
0: it's touching that Matt
2: has been able to carry on the work of his father. Yeah, I mean, how many times do you see that in this world, where the father yeah. has a, where the father has a vision, and a lot of times the son just isn't up to it. But I, I know but, you're talking about Hunter here. Yes, but with Matt Pottinger, mm-hmm. as with Hunter Biden. They've lived up to their father's
0: uh, (laughs) highest
2: ideals. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah.
2: So now we go from Stan Pottinger as the Forrest Gump of cover-ups to to just an outright ethical eunuch. Um, Stan actually— okay. He's uh, David Boys brought him in, and he, uh, according to the sources, he's represented at least 20 victims. And he had an affair with a very damaged victim who has had a lot of problems. Sorry, Pottinger did. Stan Pottinger did. yes. Wow. And um, but that he's just getting warmed up as far as uh, damaging Epstein victims at this point mm. w- with that affair, and there was a uh, a, a Law Three Hundred and Sixty article that talked about Stan Pottinger and one of the Epstein victims. Her name is Sarah Ransom, and she was really she has had a brutal, brutal life. Um, she had a very difficult childhood that, that, was, that had sexual abuse in it. And then she had the misfortune of falling into the clutches of Epstein and Maxwell, who were brutal with her. I mean, they were vicious. Mm-hmm. They actually, when she was at the island, they would have a scale. And they would line all the girls up. And Sarah would have to step on the scale. And if she was above a certain weight, she'd be ridiculed. That's how she was treated on, on Epstein Island. So Stan Ponger and David Boys told Sarah Ransom that Stan was going to write an article about what a great guy David Boys was, and they wanted Sarah Ransom to put her name on it. And an article did, in fact, come out from the New York Times, and it talked about what a great guy David Boys was and how how she had come, how David Boys had come to the rescue of Sarah Ransom. And Sarah really felt like she had no choice
0: mm-hmm.
2: um, but to put her name on the article that, that Stan Pottinger wrote. And after she lauded Stan Pottinger, um, she committed suicide or tr- attempted suicide um, shortly thereafter and ended up in a psychiatric hospital. And Stan Ponger wrote her an email telling her that it was time to settle. I mean, she's just tried to commit suicide. She's in a psychiatric hospital. She's on all these meds. And th- the people at the boys' law firm and Stan Ponger are pressuring her to settle. Um with the Epstein victims compensation fund mm. which is so egregious yeah to take that poor woman who <laughs> I read her book and her life has just been brutal i didn't even know she Sarah Ransom wrote a book yeah she wrote a really a really good book and her life has just been so brutal and the way that Epstein and Maxwell just were vicious to her. And then she has to fall – I mean after she falls into the clutches of Epstein and Maxwell, she falls into the clutches of David Black Hugh Boys and Stan Ethical Eunuch Pottinger. It's really,
0: really tragic. Yeah, so these guys are – integral in setting up the Epstein Victims Compensation Fund. And we've talked about that on the show a few times before, but just to contextualize that a little bit, that was, as one can imagine, the fund to compensate the victims of Jeffrey Epstein. But it was taken from money from Jeffrey Epstein's estate and then, I believe later, from the sale of his island and, like, properties and things like that. And so there was money issues, which we've talked about on the show before, and or I guess you could say liquidity cash flow issues that were... Um, kind of a, a, a semi-frequent event uh, that and, – and it ended up paying, yeah, out over about 200 people around? Well, actually, uh, there were
2: 225 claimants yeah. and it, um, it was willing to settle with 150, but eight declined. So ultimately, it settled with 142 mm-hmm. claimants. And the that uh, compensation fund – was able to co- accomplish something that the government wasn't able to do because the Epstein victims that settled with that fund could not sue any perpetrators. Yeah. That was it. You got your stipend from the compensation the fund. Yes. I mean, and and you could not sue anybody else. Yeah. And as I said earlier, David Boies was one of the, the people that set the parameters for that for that fund. So once a claimant signs on the dotted line, that's it. They're done. And the people that had molested them, there's nothing, there's no recourse for them whatsoever in civil court. And obviously it's not being taken care of in any type of criminal court. So those guys are walking free because of that victim's compensation fund. And... There's something that's... Uh, there. There's a couple of things I want to say about that. Mm-hmm. So, Epstein was... At the end of his, if you want to call it an addiction, was having... Being molested... Was molesting three minors a day. And... I think he'd done that for another... Uh, for a number of years. And then he... Also ran a pedophile network for twenty five years, and an estimate—I I think a relatively conservative estimate—is uh, two thousand girls um, were were caught up in with Epstein,
0: and only two hundred and twenty five have come forward. Well, I, I think I think there's 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 a couple things to be noted. Um, I think one of them is that and we've talked about this in the show a bunch of times too, is that there's numerous testimony from all sorts of people, um, you know, victims and people who are just like there, I mean, they're like, uh, you know, uh, uh, witnesses, I guess you could say as well, like employees and, and, and such, uh, that there were girls from out of the country there that had been like flown in, you know, from, from mm-hmm. Eastern Europe or South America or whatever. Uh, and we have heard vanishingly little, if anything, uh, about what's up, with them, if they were, if they were ever, you know, if any of them were able to take advantage of the fund or like become like have this sort of a f- official victim status, or were uh, even
1: tracked down, or
0: tracked down at all, yeah, or like who would even be in charge of tracking them down?
1: I think the last like even thing that we saw mentioned about it was in the Virgin Islands case when yeah. they were talking about how Epstein used the local universities as a kind of like passport mill mm-hmm. and a visa mill to like bring girls in. Through like fake college degree programs or fake courses that they he would sign them up for,
0: yeah, and like you know, and, and 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 keep it in mind too, like like Epstein was, as you as you say, rapacious. You know what I mean? He was he was he had a a, a hearty appetite that has been attested to by several people for uh for for girls, um, and yeah, I mean the numbers the numbers don't really. Add up, uh, and I, and I, it's the process has been kind of opaque in in learning exactly like how I mean I completely there's been articles opaque. on on some of some aspects of it, um, but on like what the actual criteria of of how the the lawyers themselves judge who is an official victim or not
2: completely opaque. We have no idea
0: of their
2: criteria and their standards, and this is what's. Uh, I mean, there's many things that are very troubling about it. There were 75 women um, that were denied any type of compensation. But I know of two therapists, and one of them is a highly esteemed therapist who had in uh, each one had a client that was under 10 years old when they said that they had been molested by Epstein at all, mm. and the government. And the media cover story is that Jeffrey Epstein's victims were 14 years old. And although one of them that is settled was uh, 13 years old when she was getting molested by Jeffrey Epstein. And actually there's news accounts that – in the Virgin Islands that they were as young as 11 or 12.
0: Yeah, we, we, we've, we've – like there's the, – the thing with that is that we've always heard that there's yes. been younger. But there's been nobody that has been like publicly come forth and said that they were younger. As far as
2: I know. So I was talking to this highly esteemed therapist and her client described Epstein's home and a park by Epstein and she was not American. So she had been flown in and there was really nobody to take care of her. It's kind of amazing that she survived. The fund gave uh, completely denied her. Complete, and this other therapist, who is also esteemed, um, had another client that's uh, that was under ten, and she was denied too. And and both these therapists think that their clients were denied because they were under ten years old. they didn't conform to the to the cover story. And I, I wrote a book called The Franklin Scandal, and Lawrence King liked his thing was pubescent boys Mm -hmm. but if you wanted an 8-year-old or you wanted a 10-year-old, if you wanted a 7-year-old, I mean he would get you whatever you wanted and I think Epstein was the same way. I mean Epstein like King was a psychopath. I mean it wasn't like he had to deal with the pangs of conscience and people say, well, how would someone get a 7-year-old or how would someone get an 8-year-old? I mean, the, uh, you know, they were buying children in Eastern Europe. I mean, predators like that. The, these guys know where to get kids. I mean, uh, they just know. There was a famous bank robber in the uh, '50s. His name was Willie Sutton, and he was asked why rob banks, and he said, "Well, that's where the money is."
1: And that's facts, though. That's a great answer. Yeah,
2: classic answer. <laughs> and, <laughs> and that's why these guys have connections to a, a number of different ways that they can get children. Um, whether they buy them, whether they've got people scavenging for them, whether they're hooked into a uh, a school where they can get children. Guys like Jeffrey Epstein. And his ilk, they're, they're great white sharks. I mean they're, they're perfect predators and they're going to find kids wherever and whatever kind of kid you want, they're going to provide you with that kid. And so there's been 75 uh, women that have been turned down. How many of them have been under 10? or under 13. Yeah, we don't know. I mean, is 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 that the criteria we because it's so opaque to us, is that the criteria that they're using? Well, this one's 12. You know, we can't give her any money. So, the victims uh compensation fund is is dirty. It's uh it's being used as an a cover-up tool. And it's it's not benevolent and now, I'm glad that there have been some Epstein victims that have gotten money from it, but
0: they're not going to be able to sue any of their other perpetrators. Um and well, that, you can't uh, even I mean the thing the thing that I always was was confused about is that like they can't even sue Ghislaine Maxwell. Yes. Uh which seems I mean, first of all, there's kind of an echo of that original deal with Acosta there. Um but that's like the kind of uh you know, and a lot and a lot of times when when kind of like deep events happen, um, you know, a civil suit like uh, someone's not going to get. I mean, obviously, Ghislaine Maxwell did get charged. When we went to the fucking trial, but uh, you know, the, 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 the only certain information will come out then. And civil suits can bring to light a lot more stuff. Uh, and and I, I would think, especially in this case, uh, in in the Epstein case in general. Uh, civil suits would probably go a long way in in showing other perpetrators and having it down because I think a lot of people kind of like know who was kind of involved and like you know there's there's like talk and there's aspersions cast on people or whatever but like a lot of it hasn't been talked about directly in court and there are different rules I guess in in civil court that uh, would allow these sort of things to to, to come to light and it's. Uh, yeah, it's, it's pretty telling that you, you can't sue anybody after this. The discovery process in civil court would
2: shed light on a number of perpetrators. Yeah. And that's just not going to happen the way that the Epstein Victim Compensation Fund is set up today.
0: So let's talk about Epstein Justice now because we've been talking you've've you, we've, you've, we've, we've been talking about this for a while Epstein Justice is an organization that
2: I set up uh, it's a 501 c3 um, organization that I set up about two and a half months ago and our goal is to put pressure on the government to actually look into the jepstein the Jeffrey Epstein criminality and his also look into the criminality of his cohorts. And here's the thing about Jeffrey Epstein. Every American knows that something with Jeffrey Epstein stinks. A lot of them know that he had something to do with intelligence and blackmail. And a lot of them have a cognitive dissonance and they can't quite make that leap. But – Jeffrey Epstein and Franklin, these things are diseases in our body politic. And there's there's three phases of eradicating the disease. First, there's awareness, and we have awareness of Jeffrey Epstein. And uh well and then there's acceptance and and this is where people are, are getting a little stuck because they're having a hard time accepting – they know that Jeffrey Epstein molested all these girls but they're having a hard time accepting the totality of the malfeasance that there was uh, a lot of other power brokers involved. And actually I think that Americans know that but the blackmail and the intelligence, I think people are having a hard time accepting. So – We can push for that acceptance and once we push for that acceptance, then we can have action. And I really believe that this is an issue that can wake people up. Um, First of all, the congressional approval rating is 17 percent. Obviously, our legislators are not doing a very good job for Americans. And I firmly believe – I've been digging into this world for 21 years and I firmly believe that many of our legislators are either compromised or they're willing to make Faustian impacts. And if we dig into this issue, I think we will come across the cesspool that is – Causing Americans so many problems, the, the, the cesspool that is causing the wealth polarization, mm-hmm. the, the the cesspool that allows the NSA and probably CIA to spy on us as much as they possibly want. Um, there's there's so many issues that um, Americans are being confronted by with their government that are really really negative, and I think that if we dig into this one issue and in the past, I, I, I was talking to Liz uh, about it on my podcast and there was the weapons of mass destruction
0: mm-hmm. and
2: there, there, I, I went to a, uh, a demonstration at the UN and I, the New York Times said there were 15,000 people there or 8,000 people, something. I would say that there was like 80,000
0: people. This is Iraq.
2: Yeah, yeah, but, but here's the thing with that, um, the media had managed to convince 80% of Americans that Iraq had weapons of mass destruction. Now with this issue, everybody knows that Epstein stinks and the right and the left are so polarized right now, I think that this is the only issue that can bring the right and the left together. Americans have been divided and conquered um, the the right thinks that and 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 it's kind of interesting I think very few people on the left really subscribe hardcore to like the woke philosophy, but everybody on the right thinks everybody on the left is completely embraced like. The more hardcore facets of the woke philosophy, and the and I, and I think a, a small percentage of Republicans have embraced QAnon, but everybody on the left thinks all the Republicans have have embraced QAnon. So and and the media is basically responsible for this for 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 that polarization, and. This is an issue that can bring the right and the left together. And, and it's just a fundamental decency. We know that child trafficking has been covered up. We know that our government has covered up child trafficking. Now, would we ever trust an individual or an entity that is child trafficking? We, we would never do that. But yet our government is aiding and abetting child trafficking by in the very least covering it up, how can we trust our government? We need to make a change. And I think Epstein Justice will help that. Um, If we can get enough Americans behind us, we can actually, I think, affect change. And I might sound delusional, (laughs) but I, I, I think it's... I don't see anything else bringing the right and the left together to affect change. And, and it's up to us. Do we want a government that is, is covering up for child molesters, embedding child molesters? Um, you're, uh, a number of your listeners are, are younger. Do you, do you want to grow up in that world? Do you want your kids to grow up in that world? Um, and we were talking about this before. Kids graduating from college can't even buy houses today. Mm-hmm. And the wolf polarization has gotten so insane. The real estate has gotten so insane. Um, a friend of mine grew up in the village and his dad was a New York Times journalist. His mom was a school teacher. They owned a brownstone. And he was – Walking by the brownstone, he saw it was up for sale and he saw the realtor and he said, can I take a look in the brownstone? And I, I grew up here. And the realtor let him in and he checked it. out. He said he, and he said it didn't quite look like humans live there, but um, – all <laughs> oh, gray floor. It was for sale for $10 million. Now, there's no way a New York Times journalist and a school teacher could afford a house that cost $10 million. So that's what we're looking at right now with the wealth polarization, and the wealth polarization is directly linked to the laws that our Congress is enacting. Um, the, the way that th- the security agencies are trampling our constitutional rights is directly linked to the laws that our Congress is passing, and I could go on and on and on. So we have to make a change now. and. I think Epstein Justice, once we start drilling into this issue, we will come across other types of malfeasance and we will have a better understanding of why our Congress is not working in the best interests of us, the Americans.
1: Well, where can people find out more about Epstein Justice? We are at EpsteinJustice.com. Okay. That would make sense. And we will put a link to that in the show notes Yes, that would be great. (laughs) And people can check it out that way. And
2: please join us. We we need your help. And um, it's not too late. We can redirect the course of our country um, before the maniacs that are presently running it uh, take us off a cliff.
0: Well, ladies and gentlemen, actually, no, fuck the ladies and gentlemen. Well, Nick, thank you so much for joining us. <laughs> I'm uh, glad Always to be a back, pleasure to see you. Yeah, I haven't been back for, I don't know, a couple of years. Yeah,
1: I can't m- believe it's been it that was, long. The
0: last time it was at his house, Yeah. and now, look, we're in this, I'm going to be honest with you. Brace's house. It's my house. I live here. <laughs> well, the, you <laughs> know, it's it's a very nice house. This is I mean, why I never invited you over. It's, uh, it's a little small. It's got the isolation booth, which is... Yeah. Kind of like a personal life thing, yeah. so don't—
1: But he's got it well padded get in there. —getting well, well padded in well, there. Sensory deprivation
2: can be a good me. thing. I mean, the CIA has shown us that, that you yeah. know, people
1: are malleable after mm. sensory deprivation. Oh, I'm probably
0: yeah. one of the most malleable, malleable human—I'm like, go.
1: He shows them after each time because they got cameras in there too.
0: I, w- so I, I like the CIA—God, I, like- I would be—the humi- CIA could record me. I'm not, not doing anything weird but the cia could record me and release those tapes and destroy my life cuz it's like me walking around in my underwear like being like wait why did i get up and like i'm just shuffling all day back and forth in my house trying to remember why i got up i spend 6 hours 7 hours a day doing that sometimes it's
1: like the worst paranormal activity if, in if, if, <laughs> it does
0: it looks like i have the i have in my house the internal like the domestic style of a ghost cuz i'm just like knocking things off i'm like Unless you go to sleep with that sheet with the with the eyes cut out. Yeah, that, that's okay. The, uh, <laughs> I know you've seen the hole in the sheet at my house. It's not for eyes. Liz.
1: That's not what it's I not. was. It's
0: getting, like a Yentl yeah, situation. I was to make uh, a funny uh, ghost a joke. about Hasidics and, yes. and holes in sheets. Well, shoes. that's obviously yeah. I'm the world's most swag Hasid. Uh, <laughs> okay, we got to end this. Um, Nick, <laughs> thank you so much for joining us. Uh, always a pleasure. Uh, and ladies and gentlemen, that was Nick Bryant. Thank you. What do you want for Christmas?
1: Um, I don't know. I haven't had any time to think about anything like that. <laughs> puffer vest, <laughs> puffer vest, coming for both of you guys. That'd be nice. I love a good. I love a good uh, thermo
0: layer. Oh yeah, you a guys, layering piece. You guys are getting. I'm trying to think of that. You guys are getting 2B branded puffer vests.
1: I me. already got uh, presents for both of you, and they're wrapped because I am on yeah. top of my shit.
0: I got you guys presents too. They're just in the other room. Mm. <laughs> they're, I, <laughs> they're just off. They're,
1: they're just off uh, camera, they're, laughing they're off with their... <laughs>
0: camera. They're really nice too. <laughs> Are really nice. I don't know if you guys like gold. Do you bars? Just in general, before. Well, I don't want to commit to the bar yet. Unless, what if you don't like gold? Mm. Maybe for platinum. But I do like platinum. Getting a platinum bar. Do they make those? They no, I don't think so. Those. Diamond bar? Dude, <laughs> diamond bar, diamond bar, diamond oh, bar. They should make diamond armor because nothing could pan- Like that'd be really strong. Mm. But you'd be a fucking rich ass knight. With that, I'm Liz. <laughs> My name is Brace. We are joined by producer Young Chomsky. And the podcast is called Turn On. We'll see you next time. Bye bye.
1: <laughs> I'm the last